You're listening to Mystery Still Unsolved, a podcast where we discuss unsolved mysteries, both past and present. I'm your host, Rochelle. Today, we will discuss the case of Sharon Kinney. And welcome back to Mystery Still Unsolved. I am so happy to be with you all today. Um, I've had so much fun researching this case this week. Um, I want to start off by um, just saying thank you so much for the positive feedback and um, support that I received from the last episode. Um, it was my first q and I wasn't really sure if it would be something that you guys would be interested in, um, but it was received really, really well, and so I will probably do it again sometime. It's probably not going to be a regular thing just because I just don't really feel like my life is that interesting. Um, but it was really, really nice to know that you guys wanted to know a little bit more about me. Um, like I was saying in the episode last week, I do feel a little bit bad. I feel like this relationship that we have going on is a little bit one-sided because you guys basically just sit here, listen to me talk for 30 to 60 minutes a week. And I don't really get to know you guys uh, um, very much as much as I would like to. Um, so in that's where I'm going to plug in the Instagram um, because the Instagram, um, you can find it on at Mystery Still Unsolved. Um, and there you can send me DMs. You can give me case suggestions that you want me to cover. You can interact with me and each other um, on the cases that we've discussed. Tell us your thoughts, your theories, your comments, your ideas. I love getting to know what's going on inside your minds. Um, so yeah, definitely hit me up there. Um, we also have a website. It's mysterystillunsolved.com. There you can kind of get a couple of my editor's notes. I post all my scripts on there um, so that way you guys can get a little bit inside of my head. So um, those are two places where you can um, hang out with me. Um, I also have some exciting news in the works. I don't think I'm going to share it yet, but just know that exciting news is coming in May and it's kind of like an event. I guess I'm just going to not say anything else because I don't want to like confuse you, but just know that there's going to be some exciting news coming up the first week of May. I'm so, so excited. Um, but yeah, without further ado, let's get into the case today. Um, like I said in the intro, this is the case of Sharon Kinney. Sharon Elizabeth Hill was 16 when she met 22-year-old James Kinney at a church young single adults activity in Independence, Missouri. That's right. If you know the lingo, then you will know by me saying young single adult activity that James Kinney was Mormon. And I honestly don't think that they met at a young single adults, but maybe because um, it just seems weird that she would be there when she was 16 because young single adults is more like 18 and up. But whatever. That's what it said. So that's what I'll say too, I guess. Um, so he was Mormon and he was visiting home. He was actually studying at BYU in Provo, Utah, but he had come home for the summer. So even though he was LDS, um, they began an illicit sexual affair. Um, this affair kind of went on for three months and then eventually it ended when James headed back to Utah to continue his education. 
Um, Sharon was obviously heartbroken because um, she was 16 years old. And, you know, when some when your heart breaks when you're 16 years old, you think that the world is ending. Um, and she just couldn't get over James. So they started corresponding through letters to keep in touch. And in one of these letters, Sharon writes to James that she is pregnant. So James does what any decent gentleman would do. He leaves school. He moves back to Independence, Missouri, and he marries Sharon. Only, funnily enough, Sharon's tummy never seems to get any bigger. Months are going by. People are confused why she's not showing. Um, Basically, Sharon had faked this pregnancy to get James to come back. And um, instead of just being upfront about it and being honest about it, she actually fakes a miscarriage. So later that year, she really does get pregnant and she and James have a baby girl who they named Dana. But by 1959, just a couple of years later, Sharon is over this relationship with James. She is realizing that James is extremely boring. She quotes him as being just like a vanilla guy, basically. So she starts an affair with ice cream man, John Baldez's. Baldez's. I don't know how to say his name, but there you go. And he was actually her high school boyfriend. And from the remainder of this episode, I'm going to refer to him as the ice cream man. Um, James finds out that Sharon is having an affair with the ice cream man, um, but he doesn't want to get a divorce. And it makes sense. First off, it's the 1950s, so I feel like divorce was kind of frowned upon back then. And then also within the Mormon religion, it's not that you can't get divorced. You definitely can. Um, but I do feel like there's a stigma, like not a, a negative stigma that's associated with divorce, especially in the 1950s. Um, so he actually talks to his parents and asks them, like, you know, Sharon's having an affair. What should I do? And his parents discourage him from getting divorced. They they just say, you know, you're supposed to be together forever and you just got to work through this. Um Sharon is pregnant at this time, and it's unknown if the father is James or the ice cream man. So she has a baby, and she names the baby Troy. Um, She wants to get divorced from James, and she wants to keep the house and keep her daughter and get $1,000 from James. Um, But she tells James, I want our daughter Dana, but I don't really want Troy. You can have him, which I think is awfully terrible and sad. That's so mean. Um, on March 19th, 1961, you know, Sharon's still trying to get a divorce from James, but he won't allow it. And I guess back in the day you had to get permission from a judge. And I I think maybe in some places a woman couldn't initiate for divorce, but a man could. And because James didn't want to get a divorce, it just like wasn't happening. So on March 19th, 1961, James is napping in their master bedroom and Sharon is supposedly getting ready for the day when all of a sudden she hears a gunshot coming from the master bedroom. Sharon runs to her room where she sees her daughter, who is two and a half, holding a gun And she believes that Dana has accidentally shot James. 
It was a terrible accident, right? Apparently, Sharon said it wasn't at all unusual for them to let their kids play with their guns. Uh, The cops don't really believe it at first, but once Dana demonstrates that she can shoot a gun, police believe that that is what happened. It was just a horrible accident. Sharon gets a good chunk of life insurance money um, after James's death. Once the check clears, she moves out of Independence and she moves to Kansas City and she buys a powder blue Thunderbird. It is a car that she has always wanted, but James had always denied her from getting. He just thought it was frivolous spending. And so with the money that she received from his life insurance policy, she buys herself a powder blue Thunderbird. Uh, so she went to the dealership to buy this powder blue Thunderbird, but she came home with a lot more than that because Walter, who is the man who sold her the car, also becomes her lover. Walter has a wife and kids at home. Uh, They have this illicit, torrid affair that lasts for a couple of months, um, but things cool off when Walter informs Shannon that, sorry, did I say Shannon? Sharon. (laughs) When Walter informs Sharon that he does, He is not ever planning on leaving his wife and his kids. That was never part of his plan. He just wants her to be his side piece. He isn't going to leave his wife and children, and Sharon is pissed about this. So she decides that she is going to tell his wife, Patricia, what Walter has been doing. Sharon calls her up, and um, Patricia works at the IRS, and they set up a meeting after work somewhere in Kansas City. It's like the intersection of town. Um, The two meet and Patricia goes missing. The last time anyone saw her was when she was dropped off by friends from the IRS and her friends report seeing her cross the street and get into a powder blue Thunderbird. (laughs) Who could that be? When Patricia doesn't come home that night, Walter is immediately worried. He calls some of Patricia's friends and he finds out that Patricia was going to go meet some woman um, and he has an inkling who that woman was. So he confronts Sharon. Um, In fact, he tells investigators that he admits that he actually held a knife to Sharon's throat and demanded to know what she had done with his wife. And Sharon plays dumb. She claims that she has no idea and that she hasn't seen Patricia. A few days go by and the ice cream man calls police and he says that he saw that Patricia was missing on the news and so he and Sharon decided that they were going to help with the search efforts in finding her. So they went to go looking for her but It was taking a really long time and the two were getting bored. (laughs) So they went to go make Whoopi at a lover's lane um, when they stumbled upon what they believe was Patricia's body. Maybe. Sharon um, had made the ice cream man promise that if he decided to call the police and tell them what they had found, that he would promise to not mention her name. He, she wanted him to just say that he found it by himself. 
Um, which obviously the ice cream man didn't listen because he tells them that he and Sharon found Patricia. So the police go and sure enough, there's Patricia and she had been shot to death four times in the shape of a cross. In the meantime, police were actually investigating Walter as being involved in the crime, even though he had passed a polygraph. Um, so now Walter's off the hook and the ice cream man and Sharon are on the chopping block. Ice cream man passes a polygraph, but Sharon refuses to cooperate with police and she also refuses to take a polygraph test. Um, so after some investigating, um, Sharon is arrested. There's not really any concrete evidence that she's involved, but they do have a ton of circumstantial evidence. So the people who saw Patricia go into the Powder Blue Thunderbird, um, also a co-worker of Sharon's from a couple of years prior, said that he actually bought a 22 pistol for Sharon once, but now that gun just can't be found. Um, they ask Sharon about the pistol, and Sharon claims that she went to Washington a few years earlier on vacation and that she accidentally lost the gun while she was there yeah that's the story that she's sticking to i don't think i'm believing it but you guys let me know so in june 1962 sharon goes on trial for patricia's murder it was an all-male jury and sharon definitely took that to her advantage because she was considered very good looking so every day in court she would glam herself up real good and make smiley and winky and flirtatious um basically just be really flirtatious with the jury um, even though she was pregnant again, and who knows who the dad is, could have been Walter, it could have been the ice cream man, who knows, um, it seems that it might have worked all over flirting. Prosecution um, claimed that Patricia had been dead for 24 hours before she was found, but the defense tried arguing that it was only six hours before. However, the medical examiner agreed with the prosecution that Patricia had been mur murdered about a day before she was found. Apparently, during questioning, Sharon had admitted that she was worried Walter was pulling away from her and that she had tried to win him over in a multitude of different ways, even offering him financial assistance, but he just wasn't falling for it. He was adamant and concrete that he was not going to leave his wife and his children. He just wanted her to be his mistress. Um, the gun was missing, though, so they couldn't match ballistics exactly. Uh, the trial itself lasted about a week. The jury of 12 men deliberated for an hour and a half, and they found Sharon not guilty. They claimed that there were just too many holes in the case, too much reasonable doubt. Sharon is acquitted of Patricia's murder, but she wasn't free to go. Because during the investigator's investigation of Patricia's murder... They started to get a lot of information which made them believe that Dana, the two-and-a-half-year-old, had not accidentally killed James, but that Sharon was actually the mastermind behind that. So in the time that they were trying her for Patricia's death, she was charged for James's death. So right after she was acquitted for one murder, she went on trial for another. The ice cream man admitted on the stand that Sharon had offered him $1,000 to kill James for her. 
It got spun, though, because when the defense questioned him, um, he said that at the time he thought that she was only joking. So the prosecution's tactic was basically to slut shame Sharon. Um, And the defense argued that, you know, maybe her moral compass is a little bit askew, um, but she's on trial for murder, not for having an affair. After five hours of deliberation, the jury found Sharon guilty of first-degree murder, and she was sentenced to life in prison. But that day, as she was changing into her prison uniform, through tears in her eyes, she vowed that she would be freed on appeal. And a few years later, she turned out to be right because she was granted a new trial due to a bunch of errors. Basically, the... Missouri Supreme Court deemed that the case was too circumstantial. There was not enough evidence to literally prove that she was there and that she was the one that did it. Sharon Kinney was out on trial for the second time in 1964. In jury selection, the judge declared a mistrial. So during jury selection, that's pretty early on to declare a mistrial, but apparently a jury member that had been selected had had a lawyer or actually a jury member had a lawyer representing Sharon on a retainer. So the jury had hired one of Sharon's attorneys as like their on-call lawyer. So, you know, that's, that's a little bit of a conflict of interest. It's a lot of it, a conflict of interest. So they had to declare a mistrial and, and find a new jury. Her third trial began later on that year. Uh, This time, the prosecution was seeking the death penalty. Trial was pretty similar to the first one. I'm not going to go into it again, Um, but they did have a new witness, um, an acquaintance of Sharon. They weren't really like buddies, but they had been in the same social circle. And apparently um, there was an occasion when they had all joked that they should all get rid of their husbands the way that Sharon had, and Sharon just laughed. Um, Also, Sharon took the stand this time, and she didn't really offer any new information. She basically just denied all of the charges that were being brought against her. This time, the jury deadlocked 7-5 to in favor of an acquittal. So... They had to decide now, are they going to just abandon all the charges? I mean, to have a, to have this many trials, like trials are expensive. So they had to decide, are we going to do another trial? And then like, it has to be a mistrial or it gets deadlocked again, or they're just going to let her go. Or should we do a fourth trial? And I'm so glad that they decided to do a fourth trial. Um, So the fourth trial was scheduled. But in the meantime, Sharon is out and waiting. So she's not being held in prison while she's awaiting her fourth trial. She's out on bond. Um, And she has this new boyfriend. And the fourth trial is scheduled for October. And in September, Sharon and her new boyfriend travel to Mexico, which I have no idea how that they were able to do that because that seems crazy that you would be on bond for a murder trial and then you just vacation in a different country. I don't know if that was just the rules of the day or if they 
did it sneakily? I'm not really sure. Um, but anyway, so they travel to this this hotel in Mexico, and Sharon and her boyfriend get into a fight at the hotel that they are staying at. Sharon storms out, and just to cool off a little bit, she heads over to the bar. And at this bar, she meets a man named Francisco. <laughs> Isn't there something Fran? Oh yeah, from Elf. He's like Francisco. Francisco. That's a fun word to say. <laughs> Um, so Sharon says that they were having a good time and then all of a sudden she starts to not feel very well. And so Francisco, being a gentleman, offers to take her back to his room so that he can care for her, air quotes. Sharon takes him up on his offer and she goes to his room and she's kind of laying down and relaxing and trying to feel better when all of a sudden, um... Francisco starts hitting on her and she is not for that so she denies him and then he starts to hit her and he starts to beat her up and she gets really scared but don't worry because Sharon has a 22 pistol in her handbag and she shoots him in the back um as she's running out of the room a hotel employee has heard the gunshots and he is at the door um she is startled when she sees him and so she shoots him too. Um, he survives the hotel employee, but Francisco does not. Sharon is tried in Mexico for Francisco's death, and she is found guilty and sentenced to 10 years in prison. The prisoners call her La Pistolera, which is the gunfighter. Sharon appeals her sentence, but kind of backfires on her because appeal the appeals process doesn't really work the same way in Mexico that it does here. And she basically, the appeals court, um, think that the original sentence of 10 years was too lenient. So they actually add another three years to her sentence. So kind of backfired on you, Sharon. Um, and this might have been the end of Sharon Kinney. But remember... This is a podcast called Mystery Still Unsolved. And as of right now, this case seems pretty solved. However, a few years later, during bunk checks one night, Sharon Kinney is nowhere to be found. Her disappearance wasn't officially reported until 2 a.m., though. On December 7, 1969, Sharon Kinney had successfully escaped Mexican prison. Now, there are a lot of theories as to how she escaped Mexican prison. Um, one of the theories is that she either hooked up with one of the guards who agreed to help her escape. Another theory is that she didn't really hook up with any of the guards, but she just became really, really friendly with them, and they helped her, you know, proper over the fence and then kind of all colluded together to, you know, give her a head start by not officially reporting her disappearance until a couple of hours later to give her some time to escape. Um, there was actually a weird out of the blue power outage that day at the prison. So she might not have had any help from prisoners. She might've just, or not prisoners from guards. She might've just taken advantage of that weird out of the blue power outage. Um, either way, she has never been seen or heard from again. Sharon very well could still be alive. 
Um, most people believe that she escaped Mexico and fled to nearby Guatemala. She would be 80 years old today. Some people think that since no one has seen or heard from her again, that she might have died um, because a lot of people think that she would not have been able to stop murdering people because she kind of just tends to murder people when she doesn't get her way. And there's no way in the past 57 years she's gotten her way. Um, but I think that that could be possible. But I also think that it's possible that Sharon Kinney has just gotten better at murder and gotten better at getting away with it. Isn't it crazy to think that people may have seen, may see this little old lady walking around their town or their country and think nothing of it, but technically Sharon Kinney killed three people, which makes her a serial killer. There is currently still an active warrant out for Sharon Kinney's arrest, and it happens to be the longest standing warrant in Kansas City, Missouri. And that's the case of Sharon Kinney. You know that I wasn't going to just leave you hanging like that. You know that this is mystery still unsolved. So I'm sure that during the course of me telling you that story, you might have thought, uh, Rochelle, this case is pretty like open and shut. Yeah, she's missing. She hasn't been seen in almost 60 years. And you know she's out there. You know that she probably started a new life and that people knew her and were friends with her, but they didn't really know who she was. Be sure to go to my Instagram at Mystery Still Unsolved and let me know your thoughts, your theories, your opinions, your comments on the case that we discussed today. If you have a case that you think that I should cover, please let me know. Send me a DM, write in the comments. I love to cover cases that you guys are interested in. A few other ways that you can support the podcast is to share this podcast with a friend, another true crime lover that you know. Uh, You could also leave me a review wherever you listen to podcasts, and you can join me here next week when together we'll discover, did someone ever place a useful tip? Has justice prevailed? Or is the mystery still unsolved?